0: What I think most people believe who look at this uh, on uh, the issue of tax reform is that you need to close a lot of loopholes that have benefited greatly uh, those who uh, are able to pay lobbyists to get uh, special benefits written into the laws.
1: The air all painted pallor gray, the storm was coming in. Folks were lining out in all directions. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm
0: Jacob Goldstein. Today's Friday, January 27th, and that was White House Press Secretary Jay Carney, you heard at the top.
1: Today on the program, a former lobbyist tells
0: all. That's all I need to hear, Alex. I'm in. Let's do the indicator and get to it. I'm sold. Let's go. Today, we have a very special Planet Money
2: indicator from Zoe Chase. Today's Planet Money indicator is 2.8. 2.8 2.8 is the GDP growth for the fourth quarter of last year. And I'm going to start by telling you what 2.8 is not. It is not a recession, but that's pretty much the only good thing you can say about 2.8 is that it's not a recession because it's also not a great trend for the economy overall. I mean, think about it like this. 2.5 is kind of a bare minimum that you'd want just to keep up with population growth. And we're just above that. And the other problem with this number, according to a couple economists I talked to, the biggest driver of growth was businesses building up their inventories. And it was actually weird to me that businesses building up their stockrooms counts for GDP. Like, you'd think GDP is counted from what's sold. But people I talk to say it's not. If it's produced, if it's brand new stuff, it counts as GDP. So if the growth is mostly just from inventories building up, like if businesses aren't selling stuff, if products aren't moving out of their stock rooms, then they'll cut back in the future. They won't hire. They won't keep filling their stock rooms with stuff that no one's buying. So this GDP number, the 2.8, was a real disappointment, I'm sorry to say. I even said to the economist that I called, tell me something good. And they couldn't come up with anything.
1: All right. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, guys. So, Jacob, are you, are you ready to meet our former lobbyist? Let's do it. All right. His name is Jimmy Williams, and he was very much on the inside. In fact, he worked for one of the most powerful lobbies in D.C., the National Association of Realtors.
3: The realtors were legendary. Um, They're legendary both out in local communities, but they're also legendary in Washington. And when the realtors come to town, I mean, you see them, um, and they're there, and they swarm Congress. And most other trade associations and most other lobbying outfits and firms know that the week that the the realtors are in Washington, D.C., you don't come to Washington that week because there are just so many daggum people in town. I mean, I'm talking tens of thousands of these people come.
1: Jimmy worked for these people, this legion of realtors that would descend on D.C. every year. He worked there for a number of years, and he lobbied on all kinds of issues. And w- what I did when I talked to him, I pulled up this list of bills that the National Association of Realtors lobbied on. You can find this stuff online. And I asked him, of these bills, which ones did you lobby personally? It's a long list. I mean, are yeah. there, is there uh, – uh, do you recognize any of these
3: Let's from 2006? see. Let's look at them and see. I'll tell you if I worked on them <laughs> or not. Let's see. Uh, Private Property Rights Protection Act. No, I have no clue. St- uh, strengthen the – I have no idea. Eminent domain, yes. Um, I don't know why the realtors would ever work on the prevention of fraudulent access to phone records, but God only knows. Um, <laughs> flood insurance, we worked on a lot. Um, talk about a boondoggle. Flood insurance is horrifying. All right. So this is
1: one of the things that I loved about talking to Jimmy Williams. You You always suspect that maybe lobbyists feel this way, that some of the stuff they're lobbying on is sort of ridiculous. No one actually says it. Except Jimmy Williams. So national flood insurance is this government program that provides insurance in places where the private sector won't. But what Jimmy Williams says is the private sector doesn't want to provide flood insurance in these places for good reason.
3: What the, the flood insurance program, for all intents and purposes, does at the end is let's say a hurricane hits your hives. And let's say – or you get flooded on the, the Mississippi River or whatever, which happens every two years or whatever. And then you, – so you have flood insurance. So you get paid. Because your product, your your property has been damaged. Your home has been damaged, right? So what do you do? You build right in the same damn place. Oh wait, so the next year another hurricane comes, and we've just sold. We've just the federal government, the taxpayer has 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 said, for all intents and purposes, we know that you live in a place where hurricanes hit all the time. So why don't you just keep rebuilding there? Okay, so. You're Jimmy Williams, you're a lobbyist, and you are lobbying for this
1: thing that fundamentally does not make a lot of sense. How do, how do you go about doing that? Well, th- this is where we get to the, the money, obviously. As a lobbyist, you have what all congresspeople need, money. Money to run their campaign for re-election. If you don't have money, you can't get re-elected. So if there was a congressperson Jimmy really needed on his side, he'd raise a bunch of money for that congressperson.
3: So I call up my buddies down on K Street, and I say, hey, dude, from uh, my buddy over at the, at the credit unions or my buddy over at uh, the insurance company or my, my buddy over wherever, um, at the home builders, and I say, I'm going to do this event for this guy, and he sits on the House Financial Services Committee, and do you guys have any money for this person? Is he in your budget? And the answer was usually, yeah, yeah, I got money for that guy. And so, all right, so cool. So we'll come up with a date, and then we have this fundraiser. And it's a breakfast, or it's a lunch, or it's a dinner, or a cocktail reception, um, or whatever it is. And so then you have it. And everyone comes, and they bring their checks, or they mail their checks in. And then you sit around. And you have a conversation with the member who's sitting at the head of the table or in the center of the table, and everyone goes around and says, I'm Jimmy Williams, and I'm the lobbyist for – a lobbyist for the National Association of Realtors or whatever it is, Um, and – Uh, And then you go and you say, we care about uh, keeping banks out of big, bad, evil banks out of real estate. And we care about protecting flood insurance, which is the flood insurance program, which is great for coastal communities. And we care about uh, keeping the mortgage interest deduction for everybody that can qualify for a mortgage. And, you know, everybody does that. So the insurance guy, the lobbyist for the insurance industry, he does that. And the lobbyist for uh, the accounting industry, she does that. And by the way, the fundraiser is standing in the room.
1: And, Jacob, I should just interrupt here for a second. It gets a little confusing. The event where this is happening is called a fundraiser. And the person raising money for the lawmaker, that person's job title is fundraiser. So both the person and the event are called fundraiser. All right, back to the tape.
3: And by the way, the fundraiser is standing in the room. And the fundraiser has 35000 bucks in checks sitting in her pocket right now, in her pocketbook. Oh, and we're going to talk about public policy while we take the checks.
1: Now, Jimmy says that at these tables, no one ever said, I will do the thing you ask if you give me the money. It was never got that explicit.
0: <laughs> Except, wasn't there that one congressman a few years back who actually did do actually made a list and then well he went to jail. So I, clearly, I guess most people at least don't do that, or we don't right. know about
1: it. Exactly, nobody does that because you know you go to jail if you write it down. You go to jail. But I mean, but it seems like the
0: just sort of the whole structure of this system you're describing is basically you write a check to get
1: to sit down in a room with the congressman. I mean, money equals Facetime, right? And the more money, the more Facetime. And this is not to say that lawmakers and lobbyists are bad people. In fact, Jimmy says most of them are really decent, good people with principles. Jimmy, like a lot of lobbyists, came to D.C. and worked for a congressman. He was a policy wonk, essentially, and he had ideas about how to make the country better. But lawmakers and lobbyists are all part of this crazy campaign finance system. And to me, it helps conceptually to compare it to the Supreme Court. Okay, so Supreme
0: Court justices, like lawmakers, they have a lot of power. Often there are wealthy special interests who would really like Supreme Court justices to vote a certain way on a case. But, of course, Alex, if if some special interest group hired a lobbyist and held a $35,000 fundraiser for a Supreme Court
1: justice, this this would be a crazy scandal, right? This, This doesn't happen. Right, and what would be a scandal for the Supreme Court is literally routine for Congress. Congress people go to these events that Jimmy Williams is describing literally morning, noon, and night. And generally, the more high profile the lawmaker, the more of these things they go to. Nancy Pelosi, for example, her office told NPR's congressional correspondent, Andrea Seabrook, that in 2011, she went to almost 400 fundraisers in one year. And that is pretty standard. And, Alex, you've been doing these pieces on lobbying now for a little while. And one of the things
0: that's really been illuminating to me in the pieces is how much the Congress people themselves need these fundraisers. You know, they need this constant flow of money to get reelected. I mean, in the House, they have to run for reelection every two years and every time they need millions of dollars.
1: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people think of it that there are these lobbyists out there and they're just bum rushing Congress, like throwing money at them and trying to corrupt them with their money. But Jimmy Williams says it's the other way around. Congress people were constantly pestering him, constantly calling. And a lot of times it was Congress people whose votes he didn't even need.
3: You could look on the phone and you could see it was like a 224 or 225 number or a 226 number, which are the numbers for the Capitol. Uh-huh. And you would be like, really? I'm not taking that call. Hell, oh, no. so you
2: would
1: dodge calls for phone calls? Oh, you? yeah.
3: Every lobbyist does it. Are you uh-huh. kidding? You spend most of your time dodging phone calls. Oh, yeah. All right. So at this point, you may be wondering –
1: Why is this guy telling us all this stuff? What kind of lobbyist actually tells a reporter that the thing he lobbied was a boondoggle and that he went out of his way to dodge calls from lawmakers? Well, well, you did say at the top of the show that he's
0: a former lobbyist, right? So he's not still working for the realtors or whatever.
1: Yeah, and not only is he a former lobbyist, he's a former lobbyist who is now devoting his life to destroying the very system that made him rich. So Jimmy Williams, he doesn't think the problem is lobbyists. He feels like there's always going to be lobbyists. There's always... People need to make their case in front of Congress. He doesn't think the problem is lawmakers. You know, obviously we need lawmakers. Generally, they're good people. The problem is how much money politicians need to pay for their campaigns. It all goes back to the money. And to solve this problem, Jimmy Williams wants to go all the way to the source. He wants to change the Constitution itself so that it would become legal to ban money from politics. And
0: and so presumably, Alex, this is because the Supreme Court has ruled many times essentially that money in politics is basically protected by the First Amendment. So even when Congress passes these laws trying to get money
1: out of politics, the Supreme Court keeps more or less striking them down. Exactly. And there are a lot of people out there, it turns out, who have the same idea, change the Constitution with a constitutional amendment, make it possible to pass these laws.
3: Russell Simmons, the rap guy from Def Jam Records, has a constitutional amendment. Um, Members of Congress have constitutional amendments now. Um, Let's see. Who else? Lawrence Lessig, professor from Harvard, has a constitutional amendment. Um, Lots of people have constitutional amendments now. I think there are probably 10 or 12 of them at this point.
1: And Jimmy's idea is to get together with all these different groups Decide on one amendment and they all get behind and start pushing it and go about this long, multi-year process of getting Congress to vote on it, getting the states to ratify it. You know, it's pretty crazy. And Jimmy is the first to admit it.
3: I have absolutely 1,000 percent lost my mind. There's no doubt about that. And anybody that knows me will tell you Jimmy is really doing something nuts here. This is – he's now – this is crazy talk.
1: So, so when people say you lost your mind, what? Are they, why do they say that? What are, what are they saying?
3: Well, I mean, think about it. You make, you know, for all intents and purposes, half a million dollars a year, which is what I made, okay? And you give it up. And then you give it up so you can destroy people making half a million dollars a year in Washington, D.C. To me,
1: the salary that Jimmy is saying goodbye to, that's not the craziest part. To me, it's like the sheer, what seems like political innocence of this project. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Well, you mean like how is this hard bitten, cynical lobbyist sort of hitching
1: his wagon to the star of a constitutional amendment to get money out of politics? Yeah, I mean this is a guy who's been in, he was he was before he was a lobbyist for seven years. He was a, he was a staffer for seven years working for a senator. This is a guy who knows the ins and outs of Washington, knows how the sausage is made, and here he is like on this sort of quixotic, idealistic dream, you know. But he says, "Listen." The country is clearly in a mood. There's high unemployment. There's this lingering housing bust. And approval of Congress is at all-time lows. It's at 9% right now. And he says it's his considered political opinion. There has never been a better time in memory to try something this big. Well, I don't keep to going, on. I tend to stick with kin. But
0: Watson had in from the beginning. We'll have links to our earlier podcasts on lobbying, as well as a link to Jimmy Williams' proposed constitutional amendment
1: on our blog at npr.org money. As always, we want to hear what you thought of today's podcast and hear your thoughts in general. Write to us at planetmoney at npr.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Lord, bring down the flood. Water. glaze and put us in our place